Welcome to the MindStream Podcast, exploring the facts and the stories around mind-body-spirit pathways to greater health and happiness. I'm your host, Liza Haran. In Episode 3 of the MindStream Podcast, we're discussing the money mindset of professionals who draw on their natural gifts as a vocation, like healers and creatives. Those for whom the value of the goods and services they generate are initiated by tapping into their own natural, or some might say supernatural, abilities and expressing them for the benefit of others. This is a very special episode of the MindStream podcast, and we've broken it into two parts for your listening pleasure. Part one is focused on the facts and figures of freelancing in the UK, and we look at the special concerns of those who work in complementary alternative and natural health therapies and spiritual growth disciplines. Then we move into an exciting discussion from professionals who have made the transition from employee to self-employed. They share their stories from self-doubt to self-confidence and how to navigate some tricky issues. Part two kicks off with the results of a survey that we did at Mindstream's special event for National Freelancers Day. And then we pick up the discussion to hear some more stories of building self-confidence, setting boundaries, and exploring when doing work for free is justified. We end with some really strong takeaways. You won't want to miss this. In these professions, the line between your personal and professional personas can seem muddled sometimes. The boundaries can get blurred. Perhaps you don't view your work as a job as much as a lifestyle. When it comes to money matters, it can get complicated because we may feel we're trying to put a pound sign on our intrinsic value. How do we evaluate our natural gifts and intuition? Is it right to charge something that was given to me? Those who work in these fields can feel added strains evaluating their non-commodity type of work. In fact, research shows that creative professionals lose out on more than 5,000 pounds per year by giving away work in hopes of gaining exposure. And 20% of freelancers say giving away work for free is standard practice. This is according to a joint research project published in 2016 by the Freelancers Club and the Association of Self-Employed and Independent Professionals. Is it because we undervalue our work or feel guilty charging money for our natural intuitive gifts? Or that our work isn't recognized or respected by clients and customers? Or are we afraid of charging more lest no one pays? Lots of emotions can surround money decisions, and this episode will bring together self-employed people whose creative work relies on intuitive and natural gifts. We'll hear from people on their personal journeys from uncertainty to confidence and how they navigated setting boundaries, 
building trust and making a living as your own boss. In fact, this independent workforce who have made the decision to leave the safety of full-time employment generally are seeking freedom, flexibility, and a lifestyle of their own choosing. But they realize there could be a measure of financial risk to go along with this. The independent workforce has grown tremendously over the last decade. And in 2018, workers contributed 275 billion pounds to the UK economy. Did you know that there is a day each year devoted to independent workers? It's called National Freelancers Day, and it's organized by the Association of Self-Employed and Independent Professionals, which goes by IPSE, I-P-S-E. This year, it was on the 20th of June, and Mindstream hosted a special panel discussion and networking event to pull together people whose work draws from their natural gifts. The event was called, Are You Charging Enough? And it explored the dilemma of pricing work that springs from your natural gifts. This is an important topic to Mindstream because our exclusive study of workers in the complementary alternative and natural health therapies revealed that 85% of them are self-employed, whether that's on a part-time or a full-time basis. Let me share some of the findings of our survey from 2017. 88% of them hold some type of certification or degree in the area in which they work. They all belong to a professional association. They feel very drawn to the work they do. It's not a random choice. It's deliberate. And in many cases, it's a second career for them. And they absolutely love their job. In fact, I've got pages of quotes from people that were very exuberant. Here's a few things they had to say. It serves a real need. I am doing what I love and helping people. It is who I am. It's my life purpose to help people. I do what I love and people benefit immensely from it. It is what I was born to do. I love to see the changes in people's lives. I help people to heal. One of my clients gave up her walking stick after years of using one. I love to help people heal and become the best version of themselves. Serving is connected with meaning and purpose in my life. I am inspired by my clients and feel privileged to help them help themselves. I learn something new every day. It's my passion. Can you relate to any of these quotes? When it comes to managing their business, the top challenges were admin, time, marketing, and the fact that they had to do every single thing in the business. When asked what the top challenges were to grow their businesses, one person said, costs, efforts, and my beliefs. Another person said, grow the business? No time for that. These sentiments are very strong amongst mind-body-spirit professionals, but many of them are held by independent workers across the creative arts and other industries. 
The challenges facing these practitioners of complementary alternative and natural health therapies and the spiritual growth disciplines is a priority for Mindstream because our mission is making it easy to discover and practice mind-body-spirit pathways for greater health and happiness. And this is directly related to the quality of those services and the well-being of the people delivering those services. So the question is, how can we empower this special workforce? We begin with a discussion on money mindset for this workforce of people who rely on natural gifts for their work. We wanted to explore this in wider context because mind-body-spirit professionals are not alone. The questions they face are common to all independent workers. So this episode is devoted to hearing from self-employed professionals. And now we're going to turn to the discussion with some self-employed professionals who do draw on their natural and intuitive gifts for their professional work. We're going to hear their stories, how they made the decision to go solo, and what their journey of money mindset has been. This discussion also has a presentation to go with it, and I invite you to come to mindstreamconnect.com slash podcast, where you can find a link to the presentation with bonus content. Now, let me introduce the panel. Adam Brewster is an animator, illustrator, and architect. Claire Ferry Colston is a story world developer, an author, coach, and speaker. And she creates educational entertainment that strengthens mental health, well being, and confidence in individuals and families. David Thomas Wright is an intuitive coach who supports creative and spiritual entrepreneurs to manifest their big vision. You may know him on Facebook and Instagram as Intuitive Icons. And Rose Strang is a painter, visual artist, and professional member of the Society of Scottish Artists. I, Liza Haran, hosted the panel discussion. I have been a freelancer my entire career, first as a journalist, and I have been self-employed most of the time since the year 2000. So I have my own money mindset journey, and I am very pleased to welcome our guest and the participants who came to this discussion and networking event on National Freelancers Day. And I'm pleased to share this with you. Let's hear from Clary Colston. My decision to go freelance was more of a situational circumstance. I basically had no choice but to go freelance. So at the the time I was in a relationship with my partner, he was a director and I was working from home unpaid. I was writing things and I was writing stories and then our relationship broke down and I found myself a single parent and with no income and struggling in many different areas. And so the first thing that I did was use what skills I had, which was photography, family portraiture, and then I moved on to wedding photographs. And thankfully, I was able to bring in money from that. Um, my desire to write, however, was 
one of my dreams. It was something that I had since I was a young child, but I had serious confidence issues and self-belief issues. And this was impacted as well by the fact that I was now on my own and, you know, could I do this? So that was the situation that really spurred me to start looking at, well, obviously earning the money from the photography, but then looking at how do I actually bring my dream to life? How do I actually do what it is that I really desire to do? in my heart so yeah that I mean that's a whole story in itself you know um with with coaching and things but initially what prompted me to go solo was the situation that I was in I, I had to necessity is the mother of all invention and so you found yourself in that situation but that it actually grew into something that just feels so aligned with who you are yeah absolutely yeah great Adam can you tell us about your story please So yes, I was working for a large organization that did broadly the sort of things that I was interested in doing, the creative things. For those of you who don't know me, I am now a digital animator and illustrator. So that sort of thing that I was doing, but not having to find the work that I was doing, someone else was doing that for me. I was basically getting told what I had to do on a daily basis. And I could see ways that I would do it differently and I had passions that weren't necessarily this, the shared passions of the directors that were, were passing me the work. So I thought to myself, well, maybe if I did this by myself, it would be better for me. I would be able to pursue the aspects of it that I was more interested in and work for the sort of clients if I was lucky enough that would give me the sort of work that I was more interested in and I could develop the skills that I wanted to and quite often I don't know if anyone else has had this experience when you you work in a large organization you kind of get the feeling that the management don't really care about what's happening they're just trying to get stuff back out of the door and it doesn't it, it didn't for me it didn't really sit with me and I wanted to get more fulfillment from the experience so I decided that it was probably time that I gave it a go. I had no idea whether it would work. And this is now 20 years ago. And I, I've had a little bit of a spell where I've gone back to working for someone else directly and then come back to freelancing again in the last five years. And so far, it, it is working very well. Great, Adam. So it sounds like there was a bit of an inner rudder that was kind of telling you, you know, this is not what it could be, or I'm just not feeling as solid in my potential in this environment. It's almost a moral dilemma, would you say? Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, that sounds awfully highfalutin or something, but I, I kind of just felt that I wanted, there was more that I wanted to get from what I was doing that no one else could really see. So it's down to me to get out there and do what I actually wanted to do. Great, great. Now, David, could you take us through your journey, please? Sure, thank you. So I have a background in two aspects of work. So some of that is conventional work, and it was sales and marketing and PR. And I certainly recognize what Adam was speaking about with the zigzagging between different aspects of work and what was kind of bread and butter versus aspiration and and vocation. And in our family, we are all very intuitive and very sixth sensory. 
and uh, it runs on both sides of the family actually my paternal grandmother was a working psychic a working medium and so that's something that I just began to do I wasn't influenced directly by any family members it just happened when I was about 11 or 12 an interest in spirituality and the tarot and sort of working with people and and guiding them and so that was always one aspect and that grew into other energy healing practices and coaching and over the years I've sort of developed my own style of working because I had an issue with some of the premises behind fortune telling or, you know, psychic work, which can be quite performative. And I thought, I'm not really interested in helping people to see their future. I want to help them create it for themselves. I'm not, I don't want to tell the future. It's like, let's make it, let's create it. And all this training was kind of sitting on the shelf, actually. And I was in a nine to five job. I was sick with stress at the doctor, not meeting targets in that job, difficult corporate culture, bullying, I would say, workplace bullying, which I saw play out with other colleagues and stuff, which is why I have the empathy now for people who are trying to sort of edge away from nine to five work because of what can happen in those sort of environments. And in one particular job, uh, which was very stressful for me, I thought, okay, I'm just going to reduce my hours to two days a week because then the expectation on me won't be as great and they weren't happy with my performance anyway. So it was kind of like, okay, great, you know, <laughs> we'll shrink you to two days a week. And at that point, even though I had the training, I had absolutely no clue what the next step was going to be. And I sat in the meeting and I was like, what the hell am I doing? And it felt like a leap of faith. And then everything began to appear to fill the gaps in income and some leaps of faith and uh, some streams of income appeared which weren't there before thank goodness and it invited me to really commit to what had always been my truth or my way of working and to honor it as, as much as I could. What we'd like to talk about now is our journey on the money mindset. Can you tell us where were you before whenever before was compared to now how you are on the money issue, because it takes a good deal of self-esteem and confidence to be in a situation in life at any time, but particularly in business with people you're trying to win favor from to stick up for yourself and to have boundaries and to say, you know, this is what I will do and this is what I won't do. And when we hear that over 5,000 pounds are given away on an annual basis, that's just the average by people in these creative uh, natural abilities types of jobs. It takes a great deal of metal and a strong constitution. So what I'd love to do now is hear any particular story of contrasting where you were to where you are now. Thank you, Liza. So for me, this has been an incredible journey over the past five years only. Five years ago when I left the relationship, I, I mean, I was completely codependent upon my partner. I had been to university and my background was in animation and games design and film, but I had never actually been out and got myself a job. I'd never applied for a job. I didn't feel that I had the confidence to actually do that. So I began first seeing a coach who, when I was speaking to her about my writing, she began digging, trying to find why won't you apply for jobs, Clary? Why are you not asking, you know, for what you're worth? Um, and this 
this really was a journey of learning how to build my self-belief and how to build my confidence. So I started using storytelling to actually do that with my coach. And I began to recognize so much of my inner world starting to change. And as I noticed that changing, my behaviors began to change, how I spoke with people began to change, and the things that I did in the world began to change. So when I recognized that, that was when I was like, oh my gosh, why am I not using my writing to teach people this stuff that will help them? And so this was where my first book was born because I essentially had a mental breakdown, to be perfectly honest, with the coach when I was working with her. And I was trying to write and I couldn't express what was coming through. And I was like, I don't understand. Why can't I do this? You know, And she was feeding me these stories, these narratives of who I am that I did not believe. No one had ever told me before. And so when she was telling me these things, I was like, no, these are not, this isn't me, this isn't me. And uh, after a while, she was like, okay, let's just see how you get on by yourself. So I had sat down one night at the computer trying to write these stories, found myself struggling. I had these thoughts coming into my mind that were just like, this is useless. This is no good. No one's going to listen to my stories. No one wants to buy my stories. No one will care what it is that I have to say. And the thoughts began getting louder and louder. And before long, I was crying at the computer. I was, you know, hammering off the keys, just like, why can't I do this? I'm so stupid. You know, all of these really abusive thoughts that I was then screaming at myself at the computer. And I had this really very spiritual experience where when I was in the depths of that, when I was um, completely consumed with anger and rage and you know fear and all of the upset of not being able to do this thing I had this moment where I sort of came out of myself and was able to see myself at the computer swearing and screaming at myself and hammering off the keys but my consciousness was outside of my body and it it was literally a split moment that it happened and then I came back in and had recognized oh my gosh you know this is in me this is something that's in me that's telling me I can't can't essentially do this and this was where I got in contact with my coach and I said to her I've just had this crazy experience I don't know what on earth it is but it seemed like there was this dragon that had taken over my body and my words and my behaviors and it was stopping me from being able to do my work and this was where essentially the first book Cora's Dragons was born where I began to identify all of these voices or these thoughts that I was having that were trying to stop me from writing and so this was really where the journey of began I began to write about that experience and how I then worked through that and then how to help others to do that too. Thank you for sharing that, Clara. It's very internally driven. So what you were saying is you really didn't have any preparation or any formal schooling or training on the whole money and business situation, but that you went through this transition internally. And it sounds like it gave you a great deal of resolve for what came next. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So it had really, like you say, driven everything that I then wanted to do after that. I then saw purpose and meaning and reason for writing and for creating something that could help in the world, that could help children, that could help parents, that could help families to overcome difficulties and be able to actually create the things that they felt they were born to to create. Okay, so this is very mission-oriented for you. Do you do work for free or do you get paid? Well, now I get paid for the work. I've uh, produced the books that are now in they're around Edinburgh um, primary schools and I coach and I mentor in schools and, and share the process of storytelling and yes I get paid um, for the books and also for the coaching that I do as well. Great, great, thank you. Okay Adam, money mindset. Yes, so continuing on from what I was saying earlier that working for a large organization where you don't have to find the work you get into that mindset where you just like you get your paycheck, you do the drudgery that goes with it and you leave at the end of the day and everything's fine but you're not fulfilled so once you've taken that leap of faith and you find yourself in front of your computer in your kitchen or your bedroom wherever you happen to start I think mine was actually in a cupboard in my flat you kind of think right what now and how am I going to get this work and somehow that comes to you well not somehow you have to put in a concerted effort and you go out and you talk to lots of people and you gradually find that some of them are actually interested in what you're doing and see that what you're doing is actually going to be useful to to them and their organization and they want to pay you for doing it and that comes as a bit of a shock to start with because you've not got used to this idea yet so but you run with it and I actually did believe in myself and I thought you know I can I can charge a certain amount for this I know I knew that I was pretty good at it and the responses that people were giving me were yeah we want to pay for this we think there's a there's a situation where I put in a pitch for some work and I'd worked really hard on the pitch I'd put in a lot of effort for doing a sample image that I hoped was going to impress the client and the client came back to me and said look Adam you are twice as expensive as the next most expensive person we're looking for something that that we can actually afford they basically said but we love your stuff so much we're gonna actually give you the job because we just want you to do this so um so that's kind of where I started out in a way which is highly fortunate and I doubt that many people that have gone into that situation so quickly get that that sort of response but over the over the course of what I've been doing over the years the market's changed that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore you don't there are so many the, with the gig economy there are so many people that are prepared to do stuff at a decent enough standard for us for much less money that you have to be flexible so i've learned to be flexible and i've learned to be creative in how i approach clients to sort of try and think what's in it for them how can i give more value to what the experience that I'm giving them so that they come back to me next time. David, can you tell us about uh, your how your money mindset m- might have shifted? Yes, money, money mindset. I love talking about money. I love talking about money with clients because where there is a conversation about money, there's a conversation about value. Thinking about the origins of my work, and it has evolved, but when we talk about work which is um, psychic or you know involving tarot or some sort of consultation of that nature obviously very differing views upon that which is fine it is what it is 
I find that work to be very helpful and healing for people and also subjective in, in whether people like it or not or get something from it in the way that art is. And that there were many people who would come to me when I was 17 or 18 who would not go to a counselor, you know, who would not go to, not because I was cheaper, but because the ideas around going to a counselor, which obviously I've since trained in counseling, coaching, therapy, but that was different. So they would come to me quite anonymously, but they would come to this teenager. You know, I look back on myself now, this 17-year-old, and I was thinking, you know, it's, the, it's sort of like, you know, when babies can swim in water because they don't have fear, it's a bit of that. Because I look back on him, 17-year-old David, and I sort of think, I just went ahead and did it. And my average clientele was two or three decades older than me. Didn't even think about that. They didn't think about whether I had life experience and could I talk from wisdom because I was 17. And it really didn't matter because I was working with them intuitively. And that gave me confidence, I suppose, is the referrals, the word of mouth. Um, I never really had to advertise, only occasionally to bring in sort of like a, a new wave every now and again. The question around money is interesting in that space because one of the first things I heard was if you have a gift, you shouldn't charge for it. And maybe that's used in other industries, but it's certainly used in psychic spiritual industries. And I have supported people who are gifted in that way and have had to deal with that belief, which is horrendous as a belief because the hours and hours and hours that some people would spend supporting people and giving their time and energy and expertise. It's very hard to be encouraging clients to empower themselves if you're not doing it for yourself. And, you know, so if I'm suffering in a nine to five, which I hate, but then I'm giving someone a reading, as I used to call it, and telling them to go and kind of live their truth, it, I was thinking, hmm, this doesn't kind of tally up. It's not quite right. So the whole thing of you shouldn't charge is just for me, you know, uh, ludicrous. Um, and I, I understand that it's a controversial industry and people have differing views upon it, but they would, people have differing views on Picasso. I mean, earlier we were having a conversation about perfume and I also think about antiques because the perception of value can be very subjective and it can shift. And I think that's healthy. So, perfume which i really value or cologne is smelly water and i'm not paying for the smelly water i'm paying for the experience of how it makes me feel the emotional experience of wearing it what it kind of unlocks within me and so i have i know it, again it's subjective but i have paid quite a quite a bit quite a bit for cologne because I know what it means and I know what that's going to give me and the emotional effect that's going to give me. And, you know, it's the same with readings or tarot or art or books or creativity, because if it feels right to you, it, it's good to just follow that impulse and just get the work done and share it with the world and allow yourself to be a bit crap. Do you know what I mean? So, you might not actually be crap, but allow yourself the freedom to say, I'm not very good at this, but I'm just going to do it anyway so I can actually build my craft and get the practice. Because you might have other people saying, you're not crap, you're amazing, but just to not let your inner critic savage you and just get on with it, even if you think it's a little bit crap yourself. So where I am right now with money, and I support other people with money mindset, and I explore it all the time, I have or did have clients who were telling me I wasn't charging enough 
They were coming to me and saying, you are not charging enough. They were telling me about what it meant for them emotionally and fundamentally, the shifts that we were creating together, which then enabled them to make huge changes in their lives, which you can't always put a price on, uh, apart from obviously great emotional and mental health. But then I would, you know, I've supported people who are in the public eye, who are creative in a very well-known way. I've supported people who uh, work at high levels of industry. And they were saying to me, why am I giving you X amount when I'm walking away and you've helped me to make intuitively guided choices, which are going to bring me in X amount of revenue? So, you know, I had to work. It's, it's a fear of validity or lack of. And I have trained in more conventional modalities but I didn't do that for validity I just did that because it felt right and actually when I did uh, train in like CBT I thought well this is kind of what I've been doing since I was 16 you know my language around it is different but it was all about trying to shift perspectives and trying to get people to um, view their lives differently I thought, well I've been doing this you know since I was 16 so that made me realize the value of uh, what the process can give to other people people were telling me that they were paying more attention if they were paying for it or paying something which was not a financial risk for them, but felt like a conscious decision that they would therefore honor or they would, because it was, uh, I don't know whether stretch is the right word, but they had to think about that investment. And so they got the absolute most from it. And that's very key to coaching because it's, it's about that participation. So it's something I'm continuously working on. Um, I actually offered something for free recently, which was an online resource. And I did that to actually build audience. It, it, it wasn't necessarily that I had sort of iffy money mindset. But what I've learned from that experience is, and from people telling me I should have put a price tag on it, like the, the users, the, the students of that online experience telling me I should have put a price tag on it, is that the interaction would have been more robust and people might have gotten more from it for themselves if I'd attached a price tag to it. So I'm always learning, you know, and price points, I think this applies to all of us, that if it's a product, you know, like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, where you think, okay, well, it's cost me X amount to put this together and have it produced. And then you kind of have something to work with in terms of the, the costing. But that's harder in creative arts. And it's harder in intuitive arts as well to kind of say, well, how much is this worth? But I think that my tip would be to allow yourself the freedom to change pricing and not get too hung up on pricing. And not just experiment in terms of how popular it is with people, but see how it feels for you intuitively. And even if you're not woo-woo like me, you know, um, as an emotional experience, how does that price feel for you? Um, and does that feel like a fair exchange? So, yeah, it's, it's ongoing. That's uh, why I was really happy to be here because the conversation and my own clarity about money and what it means to me personally and what it means to my clients is always ever-changing. For that reason, that's why I don't get hung up on price points anymore. And I just let it go and... Every now and again, I might change it or adapt it. I guess we all know that when you're in the midst of the work and you're high on the work that you're doing, you're not even thinking about money. I'm not. It's, you know, it's kind of, it just goes out of my mind. And I think that 
there's something about that energy which means that the abundance comes in anyway and the money does appear anyway when you actually forget about it. I think there's like a two-way process though, isn't there, between valuing your work and then also finding the right people who want what it is and can see the value in what it is that you offer as well and that was the difficulty that I found initially because I knew that there was great value in the work that I was offering but I hadn't yet learned who needs this who wants this you know and so I was choosing initially people who I thought really really needed it but they were actually in a position where they couldn't afford to pay for it and so that would be you know I was then unable to sustain myself although I was I was serving and one of the things that I had learned was if you're not selling you're not serving you know you have to be able to sustain yourself in order to be able to sustain others and so that mindset between what I have to give and finding those who really want and value what it is that you have to offer so likewise there's a fair exchange on both sides Um, that was when you really got the best out of the interaction, I feel. If you're not selling, you're not serving. This this is actually a quote. This is from uh, Grant Cardone. Just thought I'd put that out there in case you... I was going to credit you, Claire. I actually have it on my phone, just remembering myself every day. If you are not selling, you are not serving. And if you're committed to serving people, you have to sell. You have to offer people opportunity to invest in themselves and in what what they they need to to grow so yeah we should all be so lucky as you David (laughs) having clients saying you're not charging me enough (laughs) that must be a nice problem to have it's so interesting because I think what I'm hearing in all of this is we have to perceive ourselves our own value in a certain way before we can expect anyone else to believe it. And it is probably very much about your belief system and how you carry yourself and the resolve that you have in dealings. So I'd love to now kind of pitch this question to all of you. How do you balance being creative and commercial? How do you not sell out? Tell us a moment when you said, you know, I can walk away from this or you know what, I'm saying no to that. Whatever scenario you might like to highlight. So both in terms of money and in terms of my self-fulfillment, what I, what enjoyment I was getting from what I was doing, the client that I was doing work for that I've worked with for probably 18 years, one of my best clients, um, the work that I was doing for them had got a bit stuck in a rut. It was pretty tedious stuff. It was quite dry technical um, engineering stuff lots of repetitive seen it all before stuff that I just you know I enjoyed doing up to a certain point and I was trying to find the joy from it and I realized that the joy had almost completely seeped away from it and I'm like well there's got to be some way I can for my for my own benefit is to bring something back into it and also for my client's benefit so I had a think and the, the project was the client had asked me to, to produce a video for marketing their products, the, the range of their products to architects. So, you know, that's me. And that actually, when I first started working for them 18 years previous, that was pretty much what they were trying to do at the time, except that I was the architect that they were selling their, their products to then. So I was given a brief and shown what they wanted me to produce which is based on all of the things that I've been doing for them over the 18 years 
and I considered as an architect what that would be like to receive what they were asking me to do. And I just looked at it and thought, you know, I, this isn't going to cut it. I could give them something that would be so much more appropriate for what they were doing and it would be completely different to their expectations as well so here was a risk okay i knew this person i've been working with for 18 years i knew that i i couldn't actually scupper the whole deal from changing what i was going to do but i wanted to go and risk myself and risk the situation to try and bring the joy back into this and and also to sort of re-stimulate the the whole working relationship that we had i thought about it for a while and i thought okay i've got the resources to be able to produce something really radical really different that will really appeal to their audience in a way that they hadn't expected to give them something that they didn't know that they could have which is a, a sort of a mantra that i've sort of adopted over the years to give clients something that they didn't know that they could have so i went out on a limb and i called my client and i said that thing that you're asking me to do i'm not going to do it I don't think it's going to work. I'll be honest with you. I think it's not. It's, I basically said it's rubbish. It's not going to work. I said, give me two weeks and I will make you the perfect video that will sell your products to architects because I'm uniquely placed to do that. I know what, what these people are looking for. I know what's going to get their attention and I can produce the things that will do that and give you the perfect video that will do exactly what you want. Then I also said, if you don't like what I produce at the end of the two weeks then you don't have to pay for it. We'll go back to plan A and we'll, we'll give you what you asked for. If you do like it, then I want you to pay me what you think it's worth to your business. So I was like really putting my balls on the line and saying, I think I know that I can do this. I was certain I could do this, but I want you to believe in it as well. So if you don't believe in it, then you don't have to take it. If you do believe in it, then, you know, back me on this. So there we were. And there's this silence at the end of the phone I thought, oh, maybe I've blown it. But to my client's credit, she said, fine, I'll run with you, Adam, on this because I trust you and I actually know you're going to do a good job. It's slightly uncomfortable for me, but, let, you know, it's two weeks and let's see what happens. So after I went, two weeks passed, I delivered on what I expected to deliver on and I was really pleased with what I did and I handed it over to them and, of course, they were delighted with what I did as well. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah why was i ever doubting that but you know there is that moment when you think can this actually work but yeah they loved it and um and i felt like i'd taken myself and my client to the next level and, and i've had this feedback from them since that like they really appreciated that i took that risk and gave them the thing that they didn't know they could have so it, it worked everyone won and it, it it was a really good outcome wait a second one more point here I know, I know. So, okay, that one didn't quite follow through because what happened was when my client says, so would you like to invoice? And I said, so yes, how much would you like me to invoice for? They said, oh, well, you can just decide what it's worth, can't you? And I'm like, well, that wasn't the deal. But okay, if you really don't want to do that, then I'll decide what it is. And I actually doubled what I thought would be happy with thinking that we can have that discussion if they don't like it and the the reply came oh is that all we thought we thought we were getting away with quite a lot so <laughs> that's an amazing story thank you you talk about the trust 
and the ability, the permission within that relationship. So it was obviously a solid relationship that had been built over years. They wanted you to go out on the edge and they trusted you to do that. And again, you were driven from within. You wanted something exciting, not boring. So that was a great risk to take. (laughs) We're going to wrap up part one right there. Be sure to tune in for part two. That's available now at Mindstream Connect dot com slash podcast, where we're going to delve into some survey results of the participants in the National Freelancers Day event and understand what their priorities and concerns are. Then we're going to get back into this exciting discussion and hear some stories about building self-confidence, establishing boundaries that you feel good about, and understanding when doing work for free is justified. That and more on part two. I'd like to invite you to join the test panel for MindStreamConnect.com. Right now, we're inviting listeners of this podcast and our social media followers to take part in testing the prototype of our new website. Just go to mindstreamconnect.com slash RSVP. The Mindstream podcast is put on by mindstreamconnect.com. Thank you for listening. This is Liza Haran signing off with love and light. Thank you.